I always respected professors who really know what they're talking about, um, who teach in large classrooms and they are giving knowledge um, that they have gained through great study. Now, the problem, though, with professors in large classes is you never get to speak with them. I don't know if you were ever in that kind of college, but they would have classrooms of 100, 150 people. It would be very wise, but you would never get to actually speak with them. You could learn from them, you could appreciate their wisdom, you could glean from their knowledge, but you did not actually have a relationship with these professors. Why is that? Because a relationship, no matter how much you respect, no matter how much you learn from somebody, but a relationship requires two-way communication. And if we are going to rightly relate to God, we need to speak to Him. He has started the conversation in Scripture, and we need to continue the conversation in prayer. So, God is not like a professor telling us what to do only. There is that, and we must obey His commands. But, in order to develop a a sweetness of fellowship with Him, in order to commune with God, to know Him, to walk with Him, we must pray. We must cast our burdens on Him. We must take our frustrations to Him. We must praise Him, thank Him, repent before Him. If we don't do those things, that that's what prayer is, it's speaking to God, if we don't do those things, we don't actually have a growing, full relationship with the Lord. Prayer is vital. Prayer is vital. So, today I am talking about prayer, and I believe that prayer is the way that we consciously interact with God. I don't just believe that. The scripture is saying that. It's how we ask for His power. It's how we cast our burdens on Him. We entrust situations to Him. We cry out to Him in frustration or sadness. We thank Him and we submit to Him ultimately. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn them to Hebrews 4, verse 15 through 16. The author of Hebrews writes, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every way has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive grace and mercy in times of need. Prayer is the way that a Christian consciously interacts with and fellowships with the Lord. God speaks to us in Scripture, we speak to Him in prayer. So what I want to do today is, this is like, this is like trying to tour Africa in a day. And it's impossible for me to say everything I want to say in prayer. I want to talk about how prayer is difficult and hard. I want to give you some pointers I have learned in prayer. I want to give you the theology of prayer. And I can't do everything I want to do, nor can I do justice to what prayer really is. But what, we would, what we're going to do today, what I'm trying to do today, 
is uh, four things. First, I want to put prayer into its redemptive context, help you understand what prayer is. Number two, I want to give you three reasons to pray. Then I want to give you two ways to start praying and two ways to strengthen prayer. So the redemptive context, reasons to pray, ways to start praying, and ways to strengthen prayer. First, the theological context. Genesis 1 through 3. The Bible starts in Genesis 1 through 3, Adam and Eve in the garden. And this is really a story of about how humanity has lost fellowship with the Lord. We have lost fellowship with the Lord and we've been separated from God in, in real ways. Jesus, uh, Jesus, the Lord said to Adam and Eve, the day you do this, the day you eat this fruit, you will die. There's death as a penalty. And then when they did eat the fruit, he drove them out of the garden and put a flaming sword in the garden so that they could not get back to the tree of life. So what you have in Genesis 1-3 through is a narrative of separation from God. We've been cut off from God and the life that is in him. And from this point on in the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament is marked by restricted access to God. Restricted access. Uh, I'm not going to make you turn to a text, but think about the temple in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a temple split into two parts, the holy place and the holy of holies, or the most holy place. The most holy place was dark, and it had the Ark of the Covenant, and hovering above the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God. He was in the most holy place. And what separated the holy place from the most holy place was the large curtain, 60 foot high and 30 feet wide, that separated anyone who would walk into the holy place from the actual presence of God. The presence of God was dark and dangerous. And only the high priest could enter the holy place. And he could only enter the most holy place. And he could only enter once a year. And he did not enter the most holy place for fellowship with the Lord. He entered the most holy place for sacrifice, for the sins of the people. He must bring blood for the sin of the people. So the temple is a great depiction of restricted access to God. Not only is there a veil, a physical veil, representing our spiritual separation from God, but there is only one priest allowed to enter into the most holy place. And he did not enter for fellowship. He entered with blood for, to atone for the sins of the people. So there was no intimate access with God in the Old Testament. There was no sweetness. The law did not allow for an intimate presence. All you had was blood and a trembling priest entering the most holy place to make atonement for the people. So the law, the Old Testament law, did not make an allowance for intimate access to God. 
But the message of the New Testament is that the situation has changed. There has been a shift from the old covenant, the way we relate to God in the law, and the new covenant. And to show you that shift, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 27, 45 through 51. So how can we, the question here is, how do we view prayer in light of the new covenant? If the old covenant did not grant intimate access to God, how can we view prayer in light of the new covenant and what difference does it make? Matthew 27, verses 45 through 51. This is about Christ's death, the moment of Christ's death. And in verse 45, in verse 45, we read the following. Now the sixth hour, from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land, until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him or not. And Jesus cried out, cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up the spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. That temple veil that I mentioned that separates the holy place from the most holy place at the moment of Christ's death, was torn in two. And it was not just torn in two, but it was done so from top to bottom. So as if to say, from the very hands of God himself. This shows that the Father accepted the once-for-all sacrifice that Christ made at his death, and thus made a way into the most holy place, unrestricted, unlimited, but freely we can enter the most holy place through Jesus Christ. That's what happened on earth. What happened on heaven, in heaven, is in Hebrews 9, 11 through 12. The author says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing for us an eternal redemption. What the author of Hebrews is saying is just as the high priest entered the most holy place with blood for atonement of sin, so Christ entered the courts of Almighty God the Father with his blood to make atonement for sin, thus making a permanent way for his people to go to him. So that is what happens, 
happened in the new covenant. That's the opening of the new covenant. So I think the shift from the old covenant to the new covenant is a change from restricted and institutionalized religion to unrestricted access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. That is why the author of Hebrews, one last text in this vein, the author of Hebrews tells us to draw near to the Father in prayer, confidently, not in fear. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive grace and mercy in times of need. We draw near with confidence now in the new covenant. We approach his throne, not in fear, but with boldness through Jesus Christ. Obviously, respecting God's majesty and his glory and his power. But what we can do is we can approach the throne of God freely because our sins are paid. And what Christ offers us is grace and mercy in times of need. Do you have times of need? The way that you receive grace and mercy in times of need is prayer. Solar panels receive the energy of the sun. That's exactly what prayer is. It is receiving the power of God in your life. It's receiving the will of God in your life, to be activated in your life. And so, the, the author of Hebrews is saying, if you, if you need grace and mercy in times of need, the way you reach out for that is through prayer, is by going to the Lord, entering into the most holy place through Jesus Christ, and casting your cares upon Him. So, we're talking about a shift in the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, from separation to access, from institutionalization to intimacy with God the Father through Jesus Christ. So when I pray and when you pray, what we're actually doing is approaching the courts of Almighty God and appropriating our relationship that we have with Christ or through Christ with God the Father. So if Christ shares what belongs to him, his sonship, when I pray, I am appropriating my sonship with the Father through Christ. All right, that's what prayer is. That's extremely, extremely quick explanation of the shift from the old covenant to the new covenant and what prayer is in the new covenant. Now, I want to give you... I believe I have three or four reasons, three reasons that you should pray. Number one, you should pray because you need God. Here's the word for today when it comes to prayer. Don't live as if you didn't need God. And if we are not praying, we are, we are saying functionally, that we do not need God's grace, our mercy in our life. We do not need his power. We can go on our own strength. 
in our own understanding. Prayer is the way that we actually reach out to God, depend on Him. Prayer is depending on Him. So I need to pray because I depend on God. I do not have what, I, what is required to get through what I need to get through in life. But God does. And so I reach out for that in prayer. So you should pray because you need God. There are times of need and grace and mercy are, unva- are available to you. And if you draw near, he will give it to you. Second, you should pray to fellowship with God. Prayer is actually the way that you fellowship with God. We read the scripture, we take that in, we seek to obey it, but then we speak back to him. We cast our cares on him, pour out our heart to him. We ask for his help, we entrust situations to him, we thank him, and then we acknowledge how he's attended to us with his provision in our life. So, you need to pray to fellowship with God, to actually have a growing relationship with the Lord. If you don't pray, what you're not doing is you're not thanking Him. You're not acknowledging Him. You're not reaching out to Him. You're not telling Him your frustrations. You're not praising Him because all of those things are done in prayer. Third, you should pray because God is pleased to move in power when you pray. There's an amazing... I I love the story of the speaker from Assyria coming to Jerusalem, threatening Hezekiah and telling him to give up and submit to the Assyrian army coming up to the gates of Jerusalem. And he, he threatens Hezekiah's men and he says, we will, we will surround you and you will eat your dung and you will drink your urine. And he, he is threatening them with violence and terror. And Hezekiah takes this message that he's written that Sennacherib, the speaker, has written. And he goes into the temple and he falls on his knees and he spreads the message out before the Lord and says, Look, Lord, look what they are saying about you and your people. And then the Lord answers Hezekiah and he says, I have heard your prayer. And I have heard what the king of Assyria has said about me. And there's this awesome scene where I believe it's the angel of the Lord comes at night and strikes down hundreds of thousands. And in the morning, when Jerusalem woke up, behold, these were all dead bodies, it says. So Hezekiah, Hezekiah was brought to an end of himself. He was brought to the end of his power. He was fully dependent on God. And God was pleased to move in power because Hezekiah depended, depended on him in prayer. Fourth reason you should pray then is you should pray because God answers prayer. Here's a little known secret. Do you know why you don't have? Because you don't ask. 
James says as much in James 4.3. You do not have because you do not ask. So maybe you say, well, I have asked and I still don't have. I'm glad you brought that up because James says, you have not because you ask not. And you have not, you ask and do not have because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The right way to pray is what John outlines in 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we seek anything according to his will, he hears us. So I think that you should pray and I should pray to be brought into alignment with God's will. Constantly asking God to shape our hearts and minds. Give me the right passions. Give me the right affections, Lord. And then from out of that, from out of a life being shaped by the mind and heart of God, then we ask according to His will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So those are reasons why you should pray. Because you need God. Because He is pleased to move in power in prayer. Now how can you start praying then? A few ways to start praying. Number one, and understand there's great freedom in prayer. Um, one pastor says, pray what you got. Pray what you got. Are you... Do you have frustration? Do you have pray? Are you thankful? Is there a burden? What is on your heart right now? Feel free to bring that to the Lord. Feel free to talk to the Lord about that in a reverent way. Prayer is, you're not performing in prayer. Please be released from performance in prayer. I think very often we approach God in prayer and we feel like we have to say the right words for a certain amount of time. And Jesus specifically said, you will not be heard for your many words. He gave us a simple prayer that create categories to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So you have God in his will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven. Then we shift from God and his will to our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. There's physical needs. And forgive give us our sins as we forgive those who, who uh, sin against us. There's spiritual needs. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here's submission, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So in prayer, pour out your heart to God. Feel free to talk to Him. Cast your cares on Him. He is there and available for you, and His power is available to you as well. Second way to pray is not only to pray what you got, but pray what the Bible has. Um, if you ever only approach God in prayer with what is on your mind, then three negative things are going to happen. Number one, your prayers are going to become repetitive. You'll keep saying the same things over and over again. They'll be shallow. They won't actually reach down into the depths of your heart. And you will notice that your mind will tend to wander because you have become bored of your prayer life. But the Bible is kindling for prayer. So when you start a fire, 
How do you start a fire? You don't start burning logs right away. You, you get small pieces of kindling wood. You set those on a fire, on, on, on the fireplace, and you light those, and they create a base for your fire. Then you can put greater logs on it. That's exactly how you should use the Bible to pray. So as go through a psalm. Psalm 131 has been very precious to me. Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. It teaches me to submit, know my place, and ask God to get rid of any pride, to keep my eyes focused on what he's given me. And I ask the Lord, let not my heart be lifted up. Don't allow my eyes to be raised too high. May I not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. So use the Bible as kindling for prayer. Colossians 1, that prayer in Colossians 1 is so rich. And I pray that over you, my family, and myself almost on a daily basis. Um, Paul says, and so since the day we heard of you, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What, what more could you pray for? Endurance and patience and joy in the strength of God. Attach your desires to those kinds of things as you pray. Here's a quote from Don Whitney who explains what you're doing when you're praying the Bible. He says... What you are doing is you are, you are taking the words that originated in the heart and mind of God and you are circulating them through your heart and mind back to God. By this means, his words become the very wings of your prayer. So, consider those things. Consider praying what is on your heart and consider using this, the Bible as kindling for prayer. Now, two ways to strengthen prayer. Please understand that prayer is difficult, and just like reading the Bible, you are not going to be caught up into euphoria every time you pray. Nor are we, like Buddhists, seeking some place of inner calm and peace and we're kind of going to the Lord for that although he does give peace what you need to understand about prayer is real prayer praise in faith praise from out of faith not from out of feelings so you're not looking for a mystic inner silence you're praying in faith not from out of your feelings. So when you pray, it may not feel like you're talking to the Almighty God. 
It may not feel like you're communing with the creator of the universe, but we have these very precious promises that he hears us if we ask according to his will. And so the way to strengthen your prayer is to actually believe that. Now you could choose to live in some kind of state of skepticism about that. You could deny that. But the way to actually strengthen prayer is to just trust the promises of God and believe that you are actually talking to the creator of the universe even though your prayers feel thin and shallow at the time. So when you pray, do not grade the realness or the authenticity of your prayer by whether you are able to feel it or not. He promises that he hears us, and so to pray is to consciously acknowledge that he hears you, that you're actually interacting with the creator of the universe in prayer. You know, the reality of a thing does not depend on your ability to perceive that thing. Do you know that your heart is pumping blood to your body right now? Many of you cannot feel it. When you pray, likewise, your prayers are being translated into the courts and, and they are laid before the throne of God. We're told in Revelation that the Lord has bottled up the prayers of the saints. So, one way to strengthen prayer is to pray from faith, not feelings. Do not be discouraged that you're not feeling prayer. That will come. That will come at times. But pray from faith. Pray for faith based on God's promises that he hears us if we ask according to his will. Secondly, and how I have learned this, is to pray in reliance upon the Holy Spirit. When, when I pray... Maybe you resonate with this, but I have a dull mind. And I feel like my heart is very hard to inflame. And my prayers feel shallow and thin so often. And I rely on the Holy Spirit to take my prayers and make them, make them something before God. We are told that in Romans 8... That the Spirit groans for us with groanings too deep for words. And that He takes our prayers and He lays them before God. Even, even those things that you cannot articulate in prayer. I am sure you've experienced what I've experienced. You cannot fully articulate yourself in prayer. And I want to encourage you and tell you that the Lord, the Lord's hearing you is not based on your ability to fully articulate yourself to him. He knows what you need before you ask the Lord. Jesus said that. Before you ask him, he knows what you need. Even if you can't pray from the, from the depths of your soul. Romans 8.26, this is the verse I was talking about. The Spirit intercedes for us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
So pray in reliance upon the Holy Spirit that He is actually taking your prayers and beautifying them before the throne of God. I have a poem that is good because it gets to this confusion in prayer. So I want to share this with you. This prayer is about dependence upon the Holy Spirit in prayer. And this poem is actually a prayer. The writer says, Lord, my prayers are thin and shallow from a mind so dull and heart so fallow. They do not reach to fires of soul where zeal resides and passions flow. Give me, Lord, a longer rope to reach my depths and touch my hope. Let me reach into my depths, draw up your praise and call you blessed. I feel the groan of your spirit within. So what I can't express, I entrust to him to take these feeble prayers through which I groan and beautify them at thy throne. We rely on the Holy Spirit to beautify our prayers at the, thrones of, at the throne of God. And very often you're going to feel like you are not connecting. Pray in confidence. Tarry with the Lord in prayer. Over extended amount of time. And even if you cannot reach into the depths of your soul. Know that. The Lord hears you. And the Holy Spirit is groaning for you. With groans too deep. Too deep for words. That's why you can't articulate yourself fully. Because they're too deep for words. So. If you have burdens. If you have sorrows. Hungers. Joys that the tongue cannot articulate. The Holy Spirit will take those and translate them into something beautiful. At the courts of God. The power of prayer. Understand is not in your words. It's in the one to whom you are praying in them. So entrust those prayers to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit. And I trust those two things, praying in faith and in reliance on the Holy Spirit, will strengthen your prayer life. Understand in closing that prayer is difficult but necessary. No one said that prayer is going to be easy, but it is necessary to live. And now as a people and a church, what we want to aim for is a real revival, not only in our church, but around us. And so that as we grow, we grow by means of God's power. That's what I mean by revival. Not just good planning, not just sermons spoken and Bible studies delivered, but by God's, by God's grace and mercy, by his power. In our midst. And the reason revival tarries. Is because a people does not pray. When I was young. My dad gave me a small book. By Leonard Ravenhill. Called Why Revival Tarries. I just want to read you this quote. This is how he starts off the book. The Cinderella. Of the church today. Is the prayer meeting. This handmaid of the Lord is unloved and unwooed because she is not dripping with the pearls of intellectualism. 
nor glamorous with the silks of philosophy. Neither is she enchanting with the tiara of psychology. She wears the homespuns of sincerity and humility, and she is not afraid to me. Amen. In prayer, you get no accolades from other men. No one knows your secret closet time. No one knows where you walk and talk with the Lord in prayer, where you ask for his strength and power. Only one sees the secret life, the hidden life. That's just for him. And that is the only way for power. If you mark the men in the women whom God has used mightily, the common denominator, as I have seen it, is they are men and women of prayer. They're not the smartest. They're not the brightest. They're not the most powerful. They're not the boldest. They are weak men and women whom God's power is working through because they've asked for it. So why does revival tarry? Why have the rooms not shaken like in the book of Acts? Why do you not have? Why do you feel distant from God? Because perhaps you have not spent time tarrying with the Lord in prayer. So my charge to you today is to not only be a Bible person or a theology person, but a man or a woman of prayer and dependence on the Lord. Don't live as if you didn't need God's grace and mercy. Now join you in depending on the Lord. Let's close the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your mercy and grace has met us in Jesus Christ and has opened up a way to you in prayer. And Lord, we rely on your power and your strength. And I ask that we as a people would acknowledge that in a deep, in a deep way. Help us realize that we are a dependent people. And Lord, even though our prayers are thin and shallow, we trust the Holy Spirit is interceding for us with groans too deep for words. And so we entrust our prayers to him, Lord, knowing that you hear us. And Lord, we commit this to you. And I ask that we might be a people of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and dominion now, before all time, and forevermore. Amen. Amen. If anyone would like special prayer, I would love to pray with you. God bless you.